Hello, everyone. In this podcast, we will be discussing sensitive topics such as sexual assault. It's important to take care of yourself while listening. Some suggestions are listening while you're in a healthy headspace or knowing who you can reach out to if you become upset. Our 24-7 helpline for crisis calls based out of Central Florida is 407-500-HEAL. By contacting the national hotline at 1-800-656-4673, you can get support and learn about your local resources. There's always someone ready to help. the Victim Service Center podcast. Here we sit down with professionals that serve survivors and victims of trauma or those who have experienced violence and have conversations about social issues. This week, we are talking about by erasure. My name is Emily Mitchell. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm the education coordinator at the Victim Service Center of Central Florida. With me today, I have Roxanne Perret. Roxanne uses she, her pronouns and is the education intern at the VSC. She is also a proud bisexual woman that wants all bisexual people to not only feel valid, but also visible in the LGBTQ community and the world. She feels that bisexual representation is a good way to fight against harmful stereotypes, but there is a still a long way to go to fight bisexual erasure. So Roxanne, thank you so, so much for being here today. I'm really excited to have you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to talk about this. And I also have returning Yasmin Flasterstein. Yasmin uses she, her pronouns and is a young Hispanic and bisexual leader in the mental health and LGBTQ plus community. Yasmin has been named one of 2019's Most Remarkable People by Watermark Magazine and is the co-founder and executive director of Peer Support Space. So Yasmin, thank you so, so much for being here today and coming back onto the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to have this really important discussion. And just for a very brief introduction, we have visited the concept of erasure in the past on this podcast, which is essentially defined in and of itself as the removal of all traces of something. So previously on this podcast, we have talked about how this concept can also be applied to identities such as transmasculine erasure. We had an episode on that. So today we are going to be talking about bisexual erasure, the impacts that erasure can have on the community debunk some of the mini myths surrounding this topic and ways we can all validate and support the bisexual community. So with that, I love to start off with definition. So how would you define bisexuality and how is it different from other, you know, identities within the LGBTQ plus community, such as pansexuality? Um, to me, bisexuality is being attracted to two or more genders and mainly bisexual people have like a preference but it's very fluid so it changes um and pansexuality is more of love regardless of gender 
Yeah, I think that Roxanne hit it on the nail. Bisexuality quite literally is two or more genders, and it, it might be all genders or a specific two genders. And pansexuality is love regardless of gender. I like to say hearts, not parts. Um, and I actually, depending on who I'm talking to, will identify as bisexual or pansexual. I think bisexual is just more commonly understood. I don't like to explain to people that I'm not sexually attracted to pots and pans. So a lot of times I use bisexual, even though I would prefer pansexual. So it sounds like these terms are really, really similar, but maybe pansexual as a term or pansexuality as a term is more recently, you know, coming into the mist. Is that correct? I do think that it's a more recent term, but also I feel like bisexual people like probably do have a preference for like a specific gender while pansexuality, pansexual people don't. It's more broad and like more open and they look at the person, they're like, oh, I'm in love with you. While uh, bisexual people are like, have like, like it can be 20%, 80% or like it really changes depending on the person. But um, yeah, p- pansexuality is more of like broad as in like, I don't care about like what gender you are. I just love the person, if that makes sense. Yeah, I appreciate you having more than one of us on here because I, I think that labels depend on the person, right? Like, what does that label mean to you? Because um, I know a lot of people do have a preference or it is fluid, but I know like for my bisexuality, like there is no preference, um, you know, and that's okay too. So I think it's really about asking individuals what a label means to them. Um, I don't know the history of the word pansexuality. I'm sure it came after bisexuality because it didn't make it to the LGBTQ. However, um, you know, pansexual people are as old as time just because there is a word to describe what we were feeling um, doesn't mean that, you know, we didn't exist uh, since the start of time the same way gays or lesbians did. Yeah, I think that's always an important thing to bring up. And I appreciate that just because there's like new terms coming out and new ways that people are identifying. That doesn't mean that those identities never existed. It's just they're able to express it in the way that, you know, they want to, which is great. Um, And I, you know, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about a term called gatekeeping, um, which kind of has a lot to do with identities, I feel like. So what exactly um, is this term in relation to the LGBTQ plus community? Um, is there gatekeeping within it, without it? And then have you experienced it? Um, gatekeeping means keeping certain people out of a community uh, because you deem that they do not like fit there. And I do think that there is gatekeeping within the LGBTQ plus community, but I think there's gatekeeping in every community as well. Um, And for the LGBTQ plus community, it's really like people who do not seem queer enough. Um, And I have experienced it, especially if I'm seeing someone of the opposite sex, um, because the relationship can be seen as straight passing. But just because I'm in a relationship with someone of the opposite sex does not mean that I am straight. That would completely erase my bisexuality. So it's really, it's really something that we have to fight. Um, we have to fight for within the LGBTQ plus community. 
Gatekeeping is absolutely a thing. It's like limiting access to something. In this case, you know, telling you that you're not bisexual enough or pansexual enough or whatever it may be. Um, and it definitely exists everywhere, but it also exists within the LGBTQ plus community, which is really sad because I know like for me, when I came out and I went to my first uh, event, it was Pride on Church Street, uh, within three minutes of stepping onto that block with my bisexual flag, somebody told me I was confused. Um, so, you know, in that case, that was them saying, you know, bisexuality isn't a thing, like you're just confused or you're just crossing over, you're just attention seeking. Um, so it really, really sucks. And I, I had an, a similar experience my first time I went to a support group for lesbians and, you know, they told me that I shouldn't be there. Thank you for sharing that. Um, what, when that happened, it must've been, how did it feel? Like, like I wanted to kind of see if it would be okay to lean into just kind of how this can be so damaging. Yeah, it it sucks because you it takes so much to come out. I don't think I realized how much gatekeeping there was until I was out because I was always around the LGBTQ plus community. I grew up a professional dancer. I had a lot of gay friends around me. Um, I spent a lot of time at LGBTQ plus clubs and I was really surprised. I felt more accepted um, as like the straight friend with the gay guy than I did as the bisexual woman. Um, you know, and that was really unfortunate for me. And, and when, you know, that happened in the group, I, I felt totally defeated because like here I was, I had just gotten out of a very long toxic relationship and I was finally trying to like find my community. And, you know, once I came out, I suddenly felt like I wasn't queer enough for the LGBTQ plus I wasn't queer enough for the LGBTQ plus community because I had those experiences. And at the same time, I suddenly felt like I wasn't straight enough for the straight community. Like my, my friends that were straight were making, you know, these like just going like, yes, like around me, like just acting extra gay, like these weird microaggressions that I know they mean well, but it's not what they actually, you know, act like, or, you know, saying like, don't look when they're changing or something. And, you know, I, I know it's, um, jokes with good intention, but like you, you feel different. Right. So, uh, what's really hard for me as being uh, bisexual is that I feel like I don't have any community because there's not a lot of openly bisexual people and there's not a lot of spaces specifically uh, for bisexual people. So I think when people create LGBTQ plus events that are for everybody, I don't think they realize the experiences that, you know, the less common identities under the LGBTQ plus umbrella experience. As I'm going through like these podcasts and, and talking with people who are kind of in marginalized communities, I'm finding that there's this concept of not being able to have a space as far as, you know, where, where do I fit in? Where can I be validated and things like that? And it just sounds incredibly damaging and invalidating and disheartening. And I just really appreciate you being here today, you and Roxanne kind of sharing your experiences and your journey. Um, and I wanted to actually lean into that a little bit. So how was your journey to discovering your bisexual identity? 
Sure, I'll go. Um, firstly, I also want to say that support group where I experience that, I lead that support group now, and we changed the mission statement to include multiple gender loving, and there's a lot of bi and pansexual people at that space. Um, so yay, silver linings. Uh, not all queer stories are sad stories. Um, but my coming out journey was, I, I think I always knew that I was attracted to women. Um, I was probably in my like preteens. Um, like I said, I was a dancer and I think what kind of made me realize was when we were changing backstage, um, I felt this like guilt, like, I don't want to look at people because people would just like walk around naked and it would just blow my mind. And, you know, I'd be like, don't look like that's bad. And it, it took me a minute to kind of process, like, you don't want to look cause you're attracted to them. Um, which was kind of an awkward thing for me cause they were my friends. Um, but you know, I always felt like, well, it's easier to just date men and it's not like women hit on me, like it, and men will like constantly hit on me. So it's just kind of easier. And, you know, I always found myself in relationships. So I just kind of suppressed that side of me. Um, it wasn't until after the Pulse tragedy, when I was working really closely in the mental health response to Pulse tragedy, that I just felt this overwhelming, like anger and guilt and passion and just like so many strong feelings. And I, finally, I remember I wrote like a 10 page uh, Facebook status and then I deleted it all. And then I just put I'm bisexual hashtag drop the mic <laughs> uh, and just put it at that. And, and that was how I came out initially. But I think it's also important um, to realize that coming out is ongoing, right? Like not everybody I meet now saw that Facebook status like five or six years ago. So when you are a label that isn't tattooed on your forehead, like you're constantly coming out. Like it's an ongoing thing that you're constantly doing to different people in different spaces. Is that kind of, um, and thank you for sharing your story. Is that really tiring to feel like you have to constantly kind of come out or? Yeah, um, it is tiring. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, Roxanne was talking about the, the want for representation and uh, for that reason, I've I've gotten to a place in my journey now where I tell people that really don't care and didn't ask uh, that I'm bisexual, you know, like it was in my bio, like it's just something that um, I try to put out there uh, because I haven't seen enough of it out there. And I unapologetically come out constantly and I don't feel quite as tired. It, it kind of, I don't know, I guess it's me pushing the gay agenda as they would say, but um, yeah, I don't really mind it as, but it, it depends to who, right? Like sometimes, you know, you're about to come out into a space that might not be affirming. So I pick and choose and, and sometimes it, it feels more safe or more comfortable, whether emotionally or physically, uh, to not come out in certain spaces. And that's okay too. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing. Roxanne, did you want to kind of share your, you know, whatever you'd like as far as your journey to discovering your identity? Um, I actually just have a distinct memory of the first time I ever had a crush on a girl. Um, I was, I think, 16 at the time. And this girl and I were like going to perform in a talent show together. And so we started hanging out more in order to practice. And it took me a few weeks after that to like realize that I liked her. 
And that entire summer in between, I think it was sophomore year and junior year, I had like a whole crisis. I was like, what does this mean? (laughs) Um, But um, I had a lot of friends that were already out um, at that time. So that was really, really helpful. And like not only accepting myself, but being comfortable to come out. Uh, I didn't come out to my parents and like my family, family until I was 18 years old. And as Yasmin said, it really depends on the situation. Like in the US, I'm very loud and proud. I'm very open about it. The second that I leave the US, and like when I lived in Spain, for example, for three months, I was very, very, very much in the closet. Like I think, I think two people knew that I was bi. And I had to know, like, I had to trust that these people were not going to, you know, react negatively because I was in a country where I didn't speak the language and uh, I was, I moved there alone. So like, it was, it was already, I was already struggling in terms of like communicating with people. So um, being out was like just adding more struggles. So I was like, I'll just, you know, act like I'm hundred percent straight all the time. Um, and when I'm in France, it's basically the same thing, uh, where I just, I have family members that do know because I'm pretty open about it on Facebook, but, um, there are a lot of family members that I still know personally that I probably will never come out to just for my own personal safety. Um, so, um, in terms of like the journey to, you know, discovering my sexuality, Um, it took a very, very long time to like accept it and be like open about it because, um, because of just like the way that I was raised in a Catholic household. So, um, but now I'm like very, very happy of like the steps that I've taken to like be more open about it. So. Thank you so much, Roxanne. And I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that. To hear those parts where you know you're kind of not able to share uh, for safety reasons, so I I'm very sorry to hear that. Um, I can see that you're so active in the community too, and I'm really also glad to hear that a lot of your friends um, are also in the community, and that representation kind of helped you. It sounded like to discovering your own identity, which is kind of what this podcast is about today. Um, so I'd like to ask kind of what what is bi erasure? What exactly does that mean? And how has it impacted you personally? Yeah, so bi erasure is just invisibilizing um, the bisexual uh, community or multiple gender loving community. Um, and it's, it's a lack of representation. It's people who quite literally think people that are bi are just confused or attention seeking that are promiscuous. Like it's not a thing. Um, so bi erasure is like quite literally like erasing me as a human, like saying that I don't exist, uh, whether it's explicitly or implicitly. Um, a lot of times it's microaggressions. A lot of times it's blatant harassment. Um, But bi erasure is honestly telling me that, you know, my identity isn't a thing. Like I'm not a real person. (laughs) And that kind of sucks. That sounds incredibly invalidating. And then I feel like within that, it could be become like an internal kind of monologue within yourself too. Like, how could you not internalize that? You know what I mean? 
I've been told by a lot of family members, like if I've chosen between boys and girls, um, and that's really invalidating. Um, and, you know, it's, it's taken me a while to speak up because every time, you know, this sentence is said to me by like a family member, I just freeze. <laughs> like I do not say anything. And so it's gonna, I know that, you know, over the past, like, I think two or three years, I've grown more confident. And it's, I know that now if someone said that to me, like I would speak up and say something, but it's also very different if it comes from like a family member than if it comes from a stranger. So, um, so it like really, it really depends um, on the situation. And in order to like combat it, I've really just, you know, tried my hardest to be as active in the LGBTQ plus community as I can. Um, so that like, you know, people see me and, you know, they, they see that my, my sexuality is valid because, you know, if I just hide, then that's just going to further their idea that my sexuality isn't real. So. Absolutely. And I'm, and as always, anyone who's listening is, um, who may not feel safe enough to be active or, or doesn't have that drive as well. That's completely okay too. And I also thank you both Yasmin and Roxanne for, you know, speaking out for the community as well. I know that the bi community actually makes up a large part, if not the majority of the LGBTQ plus community, and yet it is so underrepresented. So why do you think this is? Why do you think this erasure is kind of happening? Society has these boxes that everyone needs to fit in. And so like, for example, in terms of sexuality, like society just thinks it's either you're gay or you're straight and there's like no in between. And so um, that's what really, that's one of the reasons why it's so underrepresented is because, you know, even though there are a lot of bisexual people, there are also so many people who just think that, you know, when you come out, you have to be like gay or like, if you don't, if, um, if you're not coming out, then you're like straight. So bisexual people, tend to be forgotten, you know, often because of those those societal standards. Yeah, I think um, bisexual people are underrepresented because um, they receive so much hate. So like, why tell you <laughs> that I'm bisexual? Um, so I, I totally understand, you know, to your point, Emily, um, I heal through helping, like not everybody heals through helping, you know, so it is totally okay if your advocacy is just living your authentic self in the spaces where you feel comfortable. Um, so yeah, I think we're underrepresented because of all of the hate that we get. Um, you know, we don't feel comfortable in LGBTQ plus spaces often. So we don't go to them. Uh, so you don't see us there, you know, and all of these things like bi erasure and representation, like it all plays into, they all play into one another, right? Like if people are telling me that I am confused, like I feel nervous to explore my sexuality. And for some people, their sexuality is fluid throughout their lifetime. You know, your sexuality is allowed to change, right? But when people are so aggressively told, you know, well, it's just a phase or you're just confused, like you feel so scared to change what your label is. And we should allow people to change their labels every single day. But we should also respect that other people, um, 
you know, are like, I am this, I have always been this. I will always be this. Like that's also a thing and that's also valid. Um, so when we have so much gatekeeping and, you know, so many microaggressions and just non-acceptance, um, you know, I, I don't blame people for not wanting to go to a lot of LGBTQ plus spaces. If a space isn't specifically intentionally making sure that they are reaching out to and creating a space for the bisexual community, the assumption by the bisexual community is this is not a space for me. I can totally see that. And, um, you know, as, as we're trying to make these spaces that are safe. And I just want to say that, you know, spaces like the peer support space, spaces like the VSC are all safe. Um, and they are welcoming to all genders, all sexualities. Um, however you identify is how you identify. And I also appreciate how you say, you know, your sexuality is also allowed to change too. And we should be able to give people that empowerment as well. And then also, you know, on the flip side, if your sexuality has been, you know, one way your entire life, that happens too. And essentially, there's a lot of like, you know, different myths and things like that, that I want to get into. But before that, um, I wanted to ask if you can think of any kind of examples of bi erasure in the media. So I got my first TV recently. I'm not very good at pop culture. With that said, like when I do see bisexual characters, like it, it tends to be like the storyline, like this person is bisexual. And a lot of times I see it uh, playing into the myth of um, being promiscuous. <laughs> um, so yeah, like I would like just a like casually bisexual librarian. Like it's not the storyline, like it's not a big deal. Like I just see everyday people that are bisexual. Cause when I think of my bisexual friends, I'm like, yeah, like, you know, she's a teacher, they're this, like, you know, I, I see people, but I feel like when I see it in media, it's like this big deal. And like, um, my bisexuality is a big part of who I am, but like, it's, it's not a personality. Like it's not <laughs> all of who I am. Um, so Freddie Mercury, I think was bisexual and so was David Bowie, but like, for example, in, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie about Queen that came out a few years ago, um, he was most of the time described as gay. And um, he said it himself because I did the research. <laughs> uh, he said it himself that he was bisexual and that like, you know, he did love women and men. And uh, when you hear about David Bowie, you, you also rarely hear about his bisexuality because I think he did marry a woman. Uh, so this really shows that their identities were completely erased by the media because it didn't fit within their uh, societal expectations of what you know, bisexuality should look like. And so, you know, Freddie Mercury's always described as gay. David Bowie's always described as uh, straight, even though they were both bi, so. I personally did not know that. So that just goes to show kind of how deeply ingrained these kind of social scripts and expectations that you've been mentioning, Roxanne, go. Um, I think a lot of these issues have to do with kind of misconceptions and myths. So what are some myths surrounding the bi community? We talked kind of about this myth of being, you know, promiscuous or the myth of being confused or just a phase, but I didn't know if there were any kind of myths 
or misconceptions about the bi community that you would like to address? Um, there's so many, like one of them is that bi people are transphobic. I, I get it. Like bi means two, but bisexuality by the bisexual community is commonly understood as two or more. And it means different things to different people, but like, there's a common understanding that it's two or more, like by identifying as bisexual, you are not inherently transphobic. With that said, there's probably a lot of transphobic bi people. <laughs> like there's, you know, transphobic people from every community, but identifying as bisexual is not inherently transphobic. Um, for I think it's different for women and men. Like for women, um, you're promiscuous, uh, you're confused, you know, like you're experimenting. Um, and when you're bi, people kind of assume that you like men, but you're like sexually attracted to women. And then for my bi male friends, what I've heard them experience is that people are, are like, no, you're just gay. <laughs> um, people will say that bi people are selfish, um, that I, I already said confused and promiscuous, but those are like the most common. Um, we're often fetishized. Uh, people immediately, when I posted that Facebook status very quickly, I got three uh, messages asking if I wanted a threesome. Um, and, you know, just because I'm bisexual doesn't mean I want a threesome. If I did want a threesome, that would be cool. <laughs> um, a lot of people assume when you're bi, you're not happy unless you are actively dating or having sexual relations with all genders. Um, and for me, I, prefer monogamy. I have a lot of friends that are polyamorous and I think that's great too. Um, but bi people can be either, um, you know, they can be happily forever with a man, a woman, a non-binary individual. Um, so the myth that you can't be monogamous, uh, is another one. Um, but I think that it's, it's kind of layered for me, like the being fetishized, because I'm not just a bisexual woman, but I'm also Middle Eastern. I'm also Hispanic. And like, these are all things that can be fetishized. So a lot of times I just feel like a body and not a person. Wow. That's really a powerful statement there, Yasmin. I think we're talking about kind of like intersectionality here, that there's like multiple facets and just that like being bi is just a specific identity that is, you know, however someone identifies as. You also brought up a really good point, Jasmine, which I hadn't thought of where bisexual women may be seen by society as, you know, oh, you're only attracted to women sexually, but you are romantically attracted and sexually attracted to men. Because again, we live in a society that assumes that women and men should you know, that that's who's together, right? The heteronormative script, which obviously we have just said that that's not always the case and is not the case, right? So that's a myth that we wanted to bring up. But it did kind of bring up this interesting um, thing that I think a lot of times people get confused on, which is the difference between like romantic attraction and sexual attraction. So would you be able to kind of talk about the difference there? Yeah. So you're right. Like society tells us that like, it's, it's cool when girls hook up with each other. Um, I have plenty of straight friends that have like kissed their friends. Uh, 
And for some folks, maybe they are just sexually attracted to women and romantically attracted to men. And that is cool. (laughs) Um, You know, but I think the issue is like, we're oversimplifying gender. We're oversimplifying what um, sexual attraction is. Sexual attraction can be romantic attraction. I want to date you. I want to cuddle you. I want to, you know, hold your hand and like, you know, tell you sweet nothings (laughs) versus like sexual attraction. Like I want to do sexy things with you. (laughs) Um, And, you know, for some people, they are you know, romantically more attracted to certain people or sexually more attracted to certain people. Uh, For me, it's really, I say hearts, not parts. Like it depends on the individual. And I have been both romantically and sexually attracted to, you know, a whole lot of different people, Um, you know, but I, I think we oversimplify to put into these boxes and it goes back to gatekeeping that this is what, sexual orientation is. This is what gender is, right? Like so many people still think male, female is the only options, right? But for me, it's like, I see people way past, um, you know, what their gender is or, um, yeah, it it really just depends on the individual. And with that said, I'm also not attracted to everybody. Uh, a lot of times people like fear you, I I guess, like they fear that you're hitting on them uh, when you say you could be attracted to everybody. But I challenge my straight girlfriends to say, like, do you want to sleep with every guy you meet? Do you want to date every guy that you meet? You know, there's certain people that you do want to date. There's certain people you might just want to sleep with. And that's cool, (laughs) too. Um, But yeah, I feel like people are really putting themselves on a pedestal when they, um, assume you must be interested in them because you could be interested in anybody. Um, It really just depends on the individual for me. Definitely. I I appreciate you kind of challenging um, and bringing that up in that perspective. I think that's a great way to kind of explain it. And um, yeah, and as always, I appreciate you both kind of saying like, it's however someone's identifying. And I think a lot of these damaging things kind of come when people assume certain things. So maybe just um, if someone does kind of come out and like, you know, try to challenge yourself and take a step back, are you assuming anything or or are you letting them identify as how they want to identify and letting them kind of live their truth and speak their truth? Roxanne, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Um, when I was, I think a senior in high school, uh, my best friend had just come out and this person goes, Oh, does that mean you're attracted to me? And my best friend turns around. She's like, no, I have some standards. And I like, it's just, it's just this, this idea that, um, that because you're attracted to like different people that like you're attracted to everyone as Yasmin said, and like, just like straight people have standards for who they want to date and who they want to sleep with, bisexual people and like pansexual people and all like multiple gender loving uh, identities also have standards and also are just uh, attracted to people in different ways. So um, it's just such like um, such a myth to assume that like just because I'm attracted to everyone regardless of gender doesn't mean that like I'm immediately attracted to you. So. <laughs> 
I appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, I think that's a super important myth to kind of break down. Getting back to kind of um, the impacts of body erasure and why it can be so damaging. Through research, we know that bi women are actually the most likely to experience violence within the LGBTQ plus community with 61% of bisexual women experiencing rape, physical violence, or stalking by an intimate partner. So why do you think this is? Why do you think they're the most at risk within every identity within the LGBTQ plus community? And I know statistics can be difficult um, and we don't have a lot of research, but this is the research that we know. Um, I think that biphobia is really rampant in uh, society, both uh, in and out of the LGBTQ plus community. And the myths that are probably the most harmful are bisexual people are cheaters and bisexual people are always polyamorous. Like if there are people who are polyamorous and there are bisexual people who um, are very sexual, good for them. Um, but seeing bisexual people all the time as very sexual or cheaters could incite violence and turn into very harmful situations, which is why we have to you know, fight these myths, prove them wrong. And anytime we hear like, a joke about bisexual people and things like that. We have to stop it there because we're not going to grow as a society if we don't, you know, stop those harmful stereotypes. Yeah, I, you know, I don't want anyone to internalize like, oh, this is happening to me more because I'm this identity. Um, you know, when things like that happen, it's never an individual's uh, fault. It has a lot to say about, you know, the community and how much they sexualize uh, bisexual or multiple gender loving people. Um, so I think that's why we might see it, but I think, you know, regardless of the why, like it's, it's really important that we, we do kind of, um, you know, unpack why we're experiencing that. Cause it's not the only statistic, like bisexual people have higher suicide rates. Um, there's lower rates of bisexual youth feeling comfortable telling an adult about it. Uh, so bisexual people like experience a lot of really difficult, hard things. And I feel like people aren't really talking about it. And it quite honestly breaks my heart. It breaks my heart too. Um, and I think we're kind of just seeing kind of the real damages that, you know, erasure can have on identities, specifically the one that we're talking about today. So Roxanne, you talked a little bit about ways we can combat by erasure. I don't know if there is anything else um, that we can do to help combat it. And do you think, um, do you do anything to make your sexuality more identifiable or more publicly seen to help combat erasure? There's this quote from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I think, where uh, someone says, every time someone is honest about themselves, like the world becomes a little bit better. I can't remember the direct quote, but my point is that um, you have absolutely no idea how impactful you can be and how like if you are proud and like loud about your uh, who you are, it might, um, you know, help people, you know, um, tell you about it or help people feel more confident about who they are. 
Um, and I know like working for the VSC, I'm very like open about, you know, helping survivors. And I've had people that I know come forward and tell me about things they've experienced because they know they're not going to get like victim blaming out of me. I'm not going to be like, oh my God, what were you wearing and stuff like that. Um, and I think that that's the same thing for the LGBTQ plus community. If, you know, if people are very um, proud about themselves, it can really be uh, impactful to other people. Um, and I know that Yasmin, I've like followed you on Instagram for like a while. And it's just, it's so like, before we even met, I was like, oh my God, this person is so cool. Um, I will talk to my parents about how cool you are all the time. It's so great. Um, <laughs> and it's just every single time I see like a person who's really, you know, open about their bisexuality and such like a welcoming person, it's just, it helps me feel more confident about who I am. And I know that I'm not the only one. So like, I think that, um, you know, if you're, if you're proud of who you are, it helps other people be the same way. I love that quote that you, that you said. Um, absolutely. And I love hearing kind of, um, the impact that Yasmin who's on <laughs> with us, um, has had as well. Yasmin, I don't know if you had anything that you wanted to add as far as like ways we could combat by erasure or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, firstly, thank you, Roxanne. I follow you too. Your uh, pride makeup is on fleek. Love to see it. I stand. Um, but, you know, I think as much as I talked about, you know, I, I posted my coming out status and three people asked me for a threesome. More people than that came out to me <laughs> who had never come out to anybody before. Um, and I have experienced it all the time where people are like, finally, somebody I can talk to about this. Because again, you can't just reach out to anybody in the LGBTQ plus community and share that you're bisexual and be affirmed. Um, but because there is a lack of spaces and, you know, there are a lack of everyday people um, that are out, you know, like just common people in the community, not like this far away celebrity. Um, I think that, you know, that's really helpful, right? Having people that are out and proud. And again, I don't think it is for everybody and that's totally okay too. A lot of times it's having a little by flag, you know, like just putting the rainbow flag totally isn't enough, but like specifically doing stuff and saying, you know, multiple gender loving community and being affirming. A lot of times it's also just like, please act normal. <laughs> like people get really weird when, um, you come out to them sometimes they try to like explain why they're an ally and like I honestly like the best reaction I feel like I get when I come out is the people that are just like that's cool you know and like they carry on so I feel like we put so much pressure on like how can I be an ally like unpack your own stuff and then act normal about it <laughs> yeah I think normalizing you know, people's identities is like the battle, right? Just being like, it's normal. And kind of what you were saying too, as far as representation, where, you know, earlier you were just like, I watch these, these shows and it's like their whole identity and it's kind of like blown up and this big thing when, you know, we don't see that for straight people. Right. Yeah. So it's like, they're all equal. So why don't we just, you know, it's just, yeah. yep. And also like stand up for me behind my back. <laughs> 
you know, because I already deal with the stigma that I'm attention seeking. So when I'm constantly having to self-advocate, not just for myself, but like my community, um, some people don't value that as much as when somebody who isn't multiple gender loving might advocate for the community, you know? So I, I think it's about standing up for people that are multiple gender loving, um, regardless of who is around. Cause a lot of times it takes somebody from within your friend circle to say something for people to really, you know, turn their heads or, or change their minds. Definitely. And if you have, um, especially for those who uh, have privilege too, um, use it <laughs> you, and, and yeah, check your friends and, and speak up. It's, it meets the world and, and it helps break down these, uh, these harmful stereotypes. Um, you did mention privilege and I do want to say that I am a white woman. So like me being able to be so open about my bisexuality, uh, and still, you know, feel safe is very much a privilege because there are a lot of like, you know, bisexual, uh, Black women or bisexual trans women and things like that. I know that the statistics regarding their safety are very, very upsetting. So um, I do know that, you know, I, I try to be I try to advocate for, you know, all of my all of my friends uh, if they can't advocate for themselves. Um, I've had a lot of my non-binary friends who um, when they're not there, their identities get completely invalidated. And so every time I have to every time their uh, pronouns get, um, you know, invalidated by someone and someone uses the wrong pronoun, I fix it every single time. And I've had people who literally will apologize and then continue doing it. Like, I understand making a mistake. It's hard to rewire your brain sometimes. But if someone wants to, um, if someone wants to identify in a certain way, it is not your, um, it is not your job to tell them that they can't. Non-binary people um, are, you know, valid and their identities are incredibly important to validate behind them because sometimes that's a concept that people can't understand, but, um, but it's your job to educate yourself and to advocate for your friends who can't advocate for themselves. So, um, so I know that I come from a lot of privilege is what I mean. So me being able to be very, very, you know, loud and proud about it is something that I know not a lot of people can have. So I just want to take this moment to thank both you, Yasmin, you, Roxanne, for all that you do for the community. And yeah, you're just both rock stars. And I just want I just wanted to uplift that. I also wanted to ask, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about like the positive representation that we've seen. So have you seen any examples of positive representation of the bi community in the media? I really love um, from Schitt's Creek uh, when he is in the wine store with Stevie um, and uh, she's basically asking him like, if he's gay and he's like, so do you like red wine or white wine? And he was like, well, sometimes I like red wine. Sometimes I like white wine. I've been known to sample the occasional rosé. And that was kind of um, how he explained being multiple gender loving to her. And I, I really loved that analogy. It stuck out to me. I love that analogy too. And I love just like, you know, it's not being a big deal too. Just kind of, yeah, I love that. So I wanted to also ask, do you have like a favorite bisexual celebrity, um, maybe a specific uh, fictional character that's inspired you? 
Um, so Halsey is my favorite bisexual celebrity. Uh, I think her music is incredible and, uh, she's just so confident and proud of who she is. And I absolutely love that. Um, when it comes to fictional characters, I have two main ones, but I love all bisexual representation. I also really love like that when a character's sexuality is not confirmed on screen, like I will, there's this term called headcanon, which is basically you look at a character and you you make up these like ideas about it. And so I, every time I have a favorite fictional character, I like to think that they're bisexual because it makes me feel more validated. Um, And so like, as we all know, I love Ben Solo from Star Wars. And so like, I will, you know, in my head, I think he's bisexual. I don't know, because it was never, you know, validated by by Star Wars or anything. But um, that's what I I really love to do, because it just makes me feel more, you know, validated. But my two favorite um, fictional characters would be the first one is Magnus Bane. He is a bisexual warlock from the Mortal Instruments series which is a book series that I've loved since I was 13 or 14, I think. And I know that his character really helped me accept my sexuality because I think that book series is like six books. And so I read them over the course of like my teen years. And that was incredibly, incredibly helpful. Um, and then the last one, the last fictional character that I, that I really love that's bisexual is Loki. Um, I just finished the last episode yesterday and I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> But a few weeks ago, he did confirm his bisexuality by saying that he's been in relationships with men and women. And that was a really incredible moment for me. I remember I was watching the episode um, at like seven in the morning and I saw that scene and I just like screamed and I absolutely woke up my entire family. But it was just it's such a great moment every time that I see a fictional character just like out you know, outwardly really speaking on, on their bisexuality, because it just, it makes me feel even more valid. So. I love that. You know, a lot of times we hear like representation matters and it it shows that it really does. Um, it goes a long way. It makes people feel valid, especially when there's these other, we were talking about like this gatekeeping and these like misconceptions that it doesn't exist and the erasure and all that. Um, having these representations, I can clearly see how, um, validating and important they are. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about that scene, Roxanne. So what about that scene like spoke to you specifically? Was there something the way that he explained it that it was like kind of casual or not like not a big deal, things like that? Yeah, that's what I really loved about it is that like I think Sylvie and Loki, who Sylvie is another character from the show, um, they were sitting together and Loki is a prince. So Sylvie goes, um, oh, is there another a princess or perhaps another prince? And Loki goes, a little bit of both. And I, I really love that because, you know, a lot, although we are getting some more like rom-coms about, you know, LGBTQ plus characters, there are so many that are just about coming out. Like I used to, I love the movie Love, Simon. I do, but um, it's just there are so little like movies or TV shows that are just about queer people existing and queer people, you know, having relationships like in college or as adults, that's not just 100% focused on them coming out. Um, Because, you know, after you come out, you don't cease existing. 
uh, you still exist. And so there should be more, more TV shows and, and movies and just representation in general where it's like just casual, like, oh yeah, I'm bi, but like, you know, that's not the only important thing about me. Like my sexuality is not the coolest thing about me. Um, and so I think that's really important in order to, you know, grow as a, as a community. Firstly, I love how you assumed that fictional characters are bisexual. Uh, we always assume that they are heterosexual. So if I'm going to be assuming, I'm just going to assume that they're bisexual. Um, my favorite uh, multiple gender loving celebrity is Demi Lovato. Uh, they're my favorite celebrity, not because... Um, of their music, but because of how they advocate for mental health, uh, as somebody who both has a lot of my own uh, mental health struggles and diagnoses, um, to have somebody that is at the intersection uh, so vocally and openly of uh, being both LGBTQ plus and um, living with mental health challenges is really, really cool. So big Demi Lovato fan as far as representation goes. I also like Megan Fox because she's really pretty. And I also um, like Vanessa Carlton because whenever like weird biphobia happens, I hear in my head the like do 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 from like a thousand miles, like the music and like playing it in my head as it happens somehow helps me get through it. So thank you, Vanessa. <laughs> I love that everyone has like like the individuality of like, um, what helps people too. Um, I appreciate that. I love, I didn't know Vanessa Carlton. There you go. See? Um, so going off of that, we talked a lot about how like damaging by erasure can be. Um, and we're talking about how representation does matter, but I'd like to lean in as kind of a final question here. Um, and again, we talked a lot about how like it feels valid and things like that. So if you have anything that you want to add as far as how it feels to see positive representation, of the bi community in the media or in LGBTQ plus spaces at pride, things like that. I get so happy when I meet another bisexual person. Like, it's just like, I'll just be in a conversation with someone and they'll be like, oh, I'm bi. And I'll be just like, oh my God, hi, me too. Like, <laughs> it's such a, such a great time. And it just really shows that, like you're not alone. And even though, you know, we are, we're probably all struggling within the same, you know, biphobic um, problems and things like that. It's just, it's really helpful to like have other people around you who are going through the same thing. So that's why it's so helpful to, you know, be um, like as proud as you can be so that other people are feel safe to come out to you. So. Yeah. I think that, as I really appreciate, firstly, you know, uh, you creating an opportunity for the community to learn about multiple gender loving people from multiple gender loving people. Of course, we're just two people and, you know, we're not like a monolith for the entire community. There's so much diversity within it. Um, with that said, you can listen to people with lived experience, but you're never going to know what it is to be in their shoes. Um, you know, it's just impossible to. So, yeah, there's totally like a geek out that happens when you meet another multiple gender loving person because there's so many experiences you can finally talk about uh, with somebody um so it's it's really exciting to be able to 
yeah, have other friends or people, um, that are bi or pansexual, right? So we talked about like celebrities and how like, you know, there are a lot, but like there could be more. I know there is more. They're just not open about it, right? Like bi and pan people exist everywhere. Um, but it's not like I can hit up Demi and be like, what's up, friend? Like, let's talk about this, right? Like, I need everyday people that I can talk to. I need to not just be seen in the media, but I need friends, um, you know, because it feels extremely isolating to be alone. And that takes a toll on your mental health and on a person to feel like nobody else understands what you're going through. Wow, I, I think that's a wonderful place to kind of sign off. And, and I appreciate both of you um, sharing your experiences and being here and being loud and proud, like you were mentioning. Um, but before I do, is there anything else you'd like to, you know, bring up uh, before we sign off that we may not have covered? Um, I just want to say that during the pandemic, um, it's been a very heteronormative vibe if that makes sense or environment would be the better term (laughs) Um, because um i live with my family and i am the only queer person in my family and although you know i love them it's been really hard being away from queer people so i'm very excited for you know things to start to reopen i'm very excited for pride in october to finally you know be able to you know be around queer people again um and not you know, be in a heteronormative environment. Absolutely. Just being able to be your authentic self with other people who are being their authentic self um, and are going kind of, you know, through the same things that you are going through or is, you know, able to share those experiences too. I appreciate you talking about that. And yes, Pride in Orlando is actually at a different time than other places in the country. So it's actually in October. So um, I'm really excited about that. So please, if you're in Orlando, come to Pride, come see us. We'll be there at the VSC and I'm sure peer support space will probably have a representation there too. Um, So I just want to thank you both so, so much um, for sharing your experiences today for all that you do um, for the the community as well. And if there's anything else you want to jump in on Yasmin, feel free to do so as well before we sign off. Yeah, I do. Um, Firstly, I want to uh, just say that, you know, if you are multiple gender loving, I believe you. I don't know you. I have love for you. Um, And if anybody does want to find a space where they can connect with other individuals, Um, I actually run a support group. It's called Butterfly Talks. It's free. It's peer-led. It's non-clinical. It's just a space to meet other people with shared lived experience. Um, It's specifically a space for uh, queer or questioning um, lesbian or multiple gender loving uh, women, non-binary individuals, and all transgender individuals, basically underrepresented uh, communities within the LGBTQ plus community. But you can find the information for that at butterflytalks.eventbrite.com. Uh, peer support space has a lot of spaces similar to Butterfly Talks for all sorts of communities. So you can find those at peersupportspace.org. And I just really appreciate you um, spotlighting and, and uplifting Uh, what it is to be a multiple gender loving person. Um, So thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And I am beautiful place to sign off. Uh, So thank you to the listener for listening to the victim service center podcast. 
The VSC is a nonprofit organization that provides free confidential counseling services for victims of any kind of trauma in Central Florida. To learn more about our services, please visit victimservicecenter.org. And to everyone listening, healing is not linear and you are not alone. And thank you so, so much once again, Roxanne and Yasmin for joining me today. Thank you so much. Thank you.